Welcome to Tax Strategy Digest, where we explore the fascinating world of finance. Join us as we dive into the stories, insights, and experiences of experts, thought leaders, and everyday people who are making a difference in this field. Through engaging conversations and thought-provoking discussions, we'll take a deep dive into the latest research, trends, and innovations shaping finance. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn something new on this exciting journey with us. Today, our guest is James Pollard, who is the founder of theadvisorcoach.com, host of Financial Advisor Marketing Podcast, and the publisher of the James Pollard Inner Circle Newsletter. This guest eats, sleeps, and breathes marketing. James, great to have you. I am really excited for this episode today. Thank you for the invitation. This is wonderful. I always enjoy talking with experts in their fields, masters in their crafts, and just helping people. So I know that this is something that will exist independently of my time and that will benefit a lot of people. So thank you. Yeah, no, definitely. I really appreciate you just taking the time to come on here. Um, why don't we start it off? Why don't you tell people, maybe anybody who doesn't know you, doesn't follow you on LinkedIn, a little bit about what you do and um, and go from there. So in 2015, I started a little company called The Advisor Coach because I started a what was essentially a business helping financial advisors with their marketing. Uh, I it, Originally, it was a referral-based business because I never really intended to go into that field. I've been studying marketing for almost, almost a decade at that point and then started with financial advisor marketing and was found out I was really good at it. And I was like, I should take this show on the road. So I made it official, started a business. The advisor coach started coaching financial advisors with the stuff that I had done. It's like direct mail, social media, content marketing, the multiple marketing method strategy that is unique to me. Then realized I didn't really like coaching. The advisor coach that you see today is essentially a media or a publishing business that has information products, stuff about LinkedIn, stuff about uh, niche marketing. And of course, the newsletter, as you mentioned, that is probably the biggest, I mean, not probably, it is the biggest arm of the business now. There are financial advisors who are subscribed in all 50 states, multiple countries around the world. Like, I'm so blessed. I didn't even, I, it was never my intention to run a newsletter business. It's not like I sat down and said, this is what I'm going to do. But I guess when you put out a product that serves people well and fulfills a need that at a low price point, essentially, it just grows. And that's where I am today. Nice. That's awesome. And so is your main um, focus, is your main group, the people who are in your newsletter, who um, work with you, are they mostly financial advisors or is it anybody who's looking for marketing? They're like 99% financial advisors. What's okay. interesting, I'll give you a stat because I've been looking over the numbers. Depending on the source that you read, 15% of uh, financial advisors are women. And that can get a little higher depending on your source. But what's interesting is that 30% of newsletter subscribers are actually women. So there's something about me or the business or women or something where they're twice as likely to subscribe to the newsletter. So the other 70% are men. What's, what is really interesting to me, and I, the reason I bring this up is because, I, as I said, I recently reviewed my numbers. The most successful inner circle members tend to be men in their 30s, 40s, and early 50s. They tend to have a family. I've noticed that's like a psychographic or demographic thing with them, but they basically have a vision. They know where they want to go, and they just need a little help to get there. They need monthly accountability. They are already somewhat successful. They just want to take it to the next level. I'm absolutely not for financial advisors who are starting out and have no idea, no clue, no commitment. And unfortunately, when you have any sort of business that 
gets in front of a lot of people, you get people from all walks of life. So the newsletter is kind of like a filter where all the financial advisors go through this filter and like the sales page is the filter. My emails are the filter. The newsletter itself is the filter. And after years, because I've been publishing, this is the sixth year now, wow. you end up with a highly refined core group of people and you can see clearly who benefits the most. And I would say that is it. For some reason, I've, I have been yet to figure it out uh, that women do extremely well with the newsletter for some reason. Yeah, is it in just with the newsletter? Is that the other forms of marketing that um, you do? It's it's kind of skewed, but the newsletter women in particular are the ones. Yeah, that isn't it? It's it's something. I don't know what it is, but they're twice as likely to subscribe to the newsletter. And what's interesting is they complain a lot less. They stay subscribed longer, and they are crushing it. Uh, one of the most recent podcast interview or podcast episodes I did was my advice for weak advisors. And one of the things that I talked about was how. I will get an get an email and this I don't mean to make this like a men versus women thing. This is just an interesting like little tidbit. But it's always interesting to me that I would get an email from one person bragging about how like he or she went from 100k to 200k and like I'm so awesome this is great. I don't you know I don't think in a certain way anymore. But then I know for sure there are 10 other people who are doing 10 times that who are just quiet. They're not afraid to ask what appears to be silly questions. A lot of times the unsuccessful people are the ones who are most hesitant to ask questions, which is crazy to me because they're the ones that need the help the most. But someone who is making a million plus per year will will not be afraid, will not hesitate to like send me an email and say, this is what my headline looks like. Do you think it's a good headline? But someone who goes from 100 to $200,000 now thinks he or she is too good to ask questions or little things like that. I've noticed I've got a million stories like that, that it's just, you can only gather that experience through real world data and information, like just over the course of years, just having hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of conversations with financial advisors back and forth every single day. And it's just giving me a perspective that I'm so grateful to have. So what, what do advisors reach out to you about? I mean, is it th little things like that where they say, hey, my headline is, is off. What's going to attract more um, people to want to work with me? Or what's kind of the main things you work with them on? Does it just vary or? It definitely varies. It okay. depends on the quality of the advisor too. So when I'm talking about the filtering mechanism or just like the qualification mechanism, get, making sure that high quality financial advisors make it to the newsletter, the quality of the questions changes because in my initial email marketing sequence, so, so I'll paint the state or paint a picture for you. I have had over 50,000 financial advisors subscribe to my email list. And the very first email that they get at the bottom, it says something like, please respond to this email with a, a question or your biggest marketing challenge. Responses to that email are typically, how do I get more clients? And I'm serious. That's like the question. How do I get more clients? How do I get in front of more people? And just very generic, vague questions like, well, gee, I have 100 plus blog posts. I have 200 plus financial advisor marketing podcast episodes. And I'm grateful that they asked this because I just point them in that direction. I'm like, here, here you go. But once someone has been through that filtering process and is a newsletter subscriber in this case, and we don't have to talk about the newsletter forever, but once someone is that, they now ask very specific questions. And it's just the caliber is so much I don't want to say better, but it's just different. Well, they will say something like, I recently sent out a mailing to 1000 people on split test. A, I did this. And on split test B, I did this. 
the results are roughly equal. What would you change on split test C? That's, that's, an, that's a way better question. That's someone who's already doing the work. That's someone who is thinking critically. That's someone who is thinking independently. And that's someone who is thinking strategically. That is so far ahead of someone who is like, how do I get more clients? I hope right. that makes sense. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. So what I'm going to ask you then is, is how does someone get from that point A where it's, hey, how do I get clients? Um, how do I get in front of more people? How do I market better, et cetera? Those, those vague questions you're getting to the, hey, I'm running my split test A and B. How do I make C better? Um, how how do they get from that, that initial standpoint of, you know, they're not asking great questions to, hey, I'm into it. I understand what's going on. Because I think a lot of people have trouble bridging that gap of I'm totally. just starting out into becoming a well-versed advisor who has my marketing down. Um, and, you know, that that stands for all advisors who might be listening right now, but also really any business owners as well. It's really just that, how do I hone in on my marketing? So do you have any advice for those people who are trying to bridge that gap and go from, you know, novice to an expert? Yes. I believe that we all have certain gifts and talents that are unique to us, or at least we have strengths that are given to us that we have, we have more of certain things than other people. Even if I love basketball and I try every single day and I practice as much as Michael Jordan practiced, like if I put the same amount of effort in, right, I wouldn't even be close. If I put the same amount of effort into football as Tom Brady did, meaning I went to all of his practices, I was with him every single day, every single move that he made, I made, I still wouldn't achieve the same results. Why? Because Michael Jordan and Tom Brady have different gifts than I do. They have different abilities. To use another athlete as an example, if people don't know who Michael Phelps is, the Olympic swimmer, just Google Michael Phelps and look at the images and look at his body. His body is literally engineered to be an amazing swimmer. If your body doesn't look like that, it doesn't matter, right? And I, I know that that could be a cop-out for people who are like working out, like, oh, it's not, it's genetics. No, a lot of times it's not genetics. But in, in this case, my example here is that no matter how hard I work, and to an extent, even if I worked harder than Michael Phelps, for example, I have that limitation. So you need to get in where you fit in. This sounds super simple, and I do get a lot of flack for this because it does sound super simple. I would take personality test. I would take the dark triad, which tests you on like Machiavellianism and whatnot, and um, uh, psycho being a psychopath, be a sociopath, to see what you need to avoid. I would take this is sixteen personalities.com. I would take the Myers Briggs. I would take the Colby. I would take the Strengths Finder, which is now called the Clifton Strengths. I would just take as many as you could find, and really dig into the results. Don't just skim them. Really take your time and go through and see what your strengths are. For the Clifton strengths, for example, since we're talking about strengths, they will give you a report of your strengths ranked from greatest to uh, least. In my case, my number one strength is that I am an achiever, meaning I need to have benchmarks. I'm constantly trying to achieve more and do more, be more, have more. That's me, right? My second strength is competitiveness, meaning I need uh, I need to compete against something, whether it's myself, whether it's another person, whether it's my ideal, I need to constantly have benchmarks in front of me. That's how I operate, right? 
if someone else has competitiveness as strength number 34, which I believe is the, the lowest on the totem pole, and that person tried to take my approach and model it with benchmarks, benchmarks, uh, James, what did you do last week? James, what did you do last year? You need to beat that metric. That person wouldn't succeed because simply because the approach is not tailored to that person. The person doesn't know himself or herself. And that's where it's really dangerous for financial advisors to, for example, follow a mentor blindly. If you're an extroverted financial advisor and you're trying to follow an introvert's model, just to use something very simple, where you're, you're constantly trying to do inbound marketing and you're on LinkedIn all day, but you're not sending messages or you're writing blogs and you're not having that human interaction, you're going to struggle. But if someone is, if you are introverted, and you love just creating content and being behind the computer screen. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the strength, your strength. You have to get in where you fit in. If that is you, then you're going to excel there. You're not going to require the energy boost that comes from interacting with other people. You can pursue that path longer, harder, and more efficiently than everyone else. So that is the very first thing that I would do is discover your strengths. That's that's perfect. Yeah, I've... I've um... I've done hours and hours and hours of YouTube video searching. And I think no one has said it as, as clearly as that. I've had people on these YouTube videos that, you know, they're, they're telling you to go watch um, certain things, kind of do aptitude tests, decide, but um, that was perfect. Uh, if anyone's watching, make sure you go do that. I'm going to put the link, James, if you can send me the link to that test, I'm going to put it below our conversation just so anyone watching can just easily click it and so that they can get started on it. Sure, um, absolutely. I think that'd be really, really helpful because I have not found anything online that is um is as detailed as what you just said. I think that's perfect because at, at the end of the day, I mean, look, if if I'm not someone who's a social person, then going out to social networking events isn't going to be my strong suit. I shouldn't do that. Right. And it there was an inner circle member who emailed me and had a question about his spouse. They're expecting their very first child, which is like, I just said, like there's had the children and everything. Like they tend yeah. to be the most successful. So expecting first child spouse wants to work from home. The advice that I gave to him was what I just told you to, for, yeah. to have the spouse take the personality test, the aptitude test, because then they can structure their household duties and they can structure what they want to do versus what they don't want to do. Because if he has different strengths than her, then you can't really split the house. You, you can, but you shouldn't split the household task and business management down the middle. Because the whole idea is that they're going to try to split business, split baby and split yeah. their personal life. And, but they don't want to just blindly do it. I guarantee you that they're going to be happier. They're going to be more productive and the child is going to benefit more because the parents know their strengths. It makes absolutely no sense to try to get Michael Phelps to play basketball when his body is built for swimming. Yeah. So it, it's, and, and people give me uh flack for that. They give me criticisms and hate. They're like, Oh, that sounds too simple. Just tell me the magic button to push or the landing page that I should do or the right headline. But it, you have to build your there. My philosophy is that your business should serve you, not the other way around. So you're building a business around what you're good at and what you want to do. Here's an interesting tale or a little story or a tidbit. Did you know that it's it, very difficult for cows to walk downstairs? No, I did not. Why is that? Because their legs are not mechanically designed to maneuver the structure of the stairs. 
to go down the stairs. Their legs are, if you just look at an image of a cow, their legs are built in a way where it's, it's incredibly awkward. Now, people used to believe, if they've never interacted with a cow, that it was impossible for them to go downstairs. They say, oh, they can't do that. And they'll never be able to do that. No, 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 they can, right? It is possible for a cow to go downstairs. If you push, if you force, if you yell, if you coerce, it is possible. They can do it, but it is incredibly awkward and it's uncomfortable and it can't be pleasant for the cow. Yeah. Going against your strength is like that. It can be done, but it's very uh, not ideal. Okay. Wow. No, I, that's a that's a perfect analogy. It makes um, it makes a lot of sense because I think a lot of people right now, uh, especially the the market's been a little bit weird. People are uneasy. I feel like everybody is just trying to fit into boxes that they don't belong in, um, and and whether they. I see it a lot in like the commercial real estate space. I know it's not exactly the financial advisors, but I see a lot of commercial real estate brokers who are doing things that are a little unconventional and uncomfortable for them. Uh, and and they're not being successful. They're they're really forcing it just to try and find a paycheck. Um, and I, I don't understand it. I, I don't think that's something I would probably do. Uh, like you're mentioning, but uh, I do see it happening. And it's it's interesting that you said that. Um, also, kind of on that that same wavelength, what what is something that is working right now for financial advisor marketing? I mean, what's kind of the main source that people are using in order to um, successfully market or successfully attract clients or um, other, maybe it's, you know, they want to talk to CPAs, or if they want to build their network of uh, of people they can refer to, what what's been working the most? Well, my philosophy is all about building marketing assets, and I think it's heartbreaking when financial advisors take their metaphorical financial advisor hat off. And what I mean by that is, a financial advisor will have a meeting with a client or prospective client, and they'll talk about asset allocation. They'll talk about diversifying assets. They'll talk about building assets. They'll talk about protection and risk management, the all sorts of topics. Then when the meeting ends, they take that metaphorical financial advisor hat off and they no longer think in those terms when it comes to their marketing and their business. They don't think about risk management. They don't think about building assets. They don't think about diversification. And it's, it's, it is very sad because those are the things that work well in marketing. What works, it, this is based in my experience and real world data and tons and tons of the feedback from actual advisors is thinking in terms of building those assets. Now, what does that mean? It means doing like a podcast interview, for example, this interview is an asset. If I spend an hour with you and I, I no longer have to spend my time, but it continues to help people. It continues to talk with people. People can continue to spend time with me and you. If I write a blog post, it takes no more effort for me to get in front of five people as it does to get in five in front of 500 or 5,000, assuming that I have built the processes. The same is true with LinkedIn. LinkedIn content is an asset that people are uh, creating. You are creating wealth. That is how wealth is created. It's not Wealth is not money circulating around. Wealth is creation. That's where it comes from. Someone created this microphone. Someone created this mouse. It is wealth for me. I can use it to produce more goods and services for humanity, just like the person produced the, the mouse and the microphone. So the reason that is very impactful for financial advisors, let's continue with LinkedIn. Let's say that you post 100 pieces of content on LinkedIn 
According to the 80-20 principle, 20 of those posts should generate 80% of your results. What you can now do is go back to the 20% of posts that worked very well, your top 20, and reuse them, model them, and then you have locked in those results. How amazing would it be for you to know with relative certainty that you have locked in the 80% of results that you've gotten in the past? You can do that with blogs, with podcasts, with emails. Those are all assets. Uh, I'm probably most well-known for email marketing out of all the strategies. And one of the reasons I love it so much is because of this marketing asset philosophy. Once you have created an email autoresponder sequence where someone subscribes to your email list and then gets email one, email two, email three, until the sequence is finished, that operates independently of your time. You don't have to do anything else. It, it Once it's created, it now builds trust, credibility, and rapport on autopilot. It is not just a marketing gimmick. gimmick. It's not just a tactic. It truly is an asset that continues to work for you. That's how I think in assets. Mm -hmm. What can I build? Yeah, I agree. And I, um, I, it's funny you mentioned LinkedIn because I recently, probably January 1st of this year, um, that was part of my um, New Year's resolution. I wanted to kind of create my LinkedIn to be um, an asset that I could use because uh, like you mentioned, it, it's not going anywhere. Anybody can always look at my LinkedIn page. They can see my posts. If someone has a question, we do the deferred sales trust. They can go look and say, oh, what does this guy do? You know, and he doesn't have to call me. You know, that person doesn't have to reach out, send me an email. They can see, hey, oh, it's in his featured spot. He can see exactly what I do. And then if he has questions, then he can reach out. But it not only saves me time, it saves them time um, as well. So it's it's really, really great. I think LinkedIn, is, and I know you're active on LinkedIn. That's how we connected. Um how are you using it different? I mean, I know LinkedIn's kind of changed. Um, some people use it for marketing. Some people post their kids, which is also part of their marketing. Um, but how are you using it for yourself? Because I know I personally, I'm just kind of talking about what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. And if people find that interesting, then they can kind of follow along. Um, what about you? Well, I'm not exactly the person to model for me personally <laughs> in my profile. I have sure, a wide sure. variety of content ranging from religious stuff to marketing to my travels. I travel a lot. And sometimes I just post a picture like, hey, here's where I am now. But uh, one of the things about the advisor coach that a lot of people don't know is I spend a lot of money on private surveys and information. And there are different companies will publish this information. And I, I kick myself sometimes because I could publish it and sell it, right? And make more money. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of the stuff I want to kind of keep private because I want to give it to the newsletter subscribers and I want to keep it like hush hush. But I'll share something with you here. One of the surveys that I ran um, on Facebook, Facebook ads to people who uh, haven't hired a financial advisor. I asked them, what is the reason why you haven't hired an advisor? One of the mistakes that people make with surveys is they give multiple choices, right? That's a mistake to me because if you say, what is the reason why you haven't hired a financial advisor, A, B, C, or D? Well, it might be E, F, G, but yeah. you're limited to these choices. The reason my surveys are more effective and I, I like them a lot more because of that, and the reason people don't do it is because it costs a lot more money to get people to type out a response. It's much cheaper to get someone to click a bubble, dirty secret there, right? <laughs> but the number one reason why people didn't hire a financial advisor or hadn't hired a financial advisor up to that point was intimidation. That's really interesting, isn't it? Where they think the financial advisor has some mysterious process or that the advisor will talk over 
them or that the advisor will just make them feel like a fish out of water. It's intimidation, plain and simple. They Very few people use the word intimidation, but that's really what it is. Well, knowing that, your LinkedIn content should intentionally and purposefully reduce that intimidation. How do you do that? Well, that's up to you. Maybe it is a photo of your children. Maybe yeah. it's a photo of you out and about, but you should methodically reduce that intimidation to show people that you're a real human being. And to an extent, having a LinkedIn profile by itself reduces the intimidation, a, a fully fleshed out LinkedIn profile with here's what you've done. Here's a little bit about you because it just makes you feel more real, more tangible. If you're just a faceless entity on a website, that is like max intimidation, right? With a lot of jargon, people are, are not comfortable with that. But having a LinkedIn profile is like step one in reducing intimidation and then content about how you help people, what you do, who you help, your life, your day-to-day, -day, that is what reduces that intimidation. So one of the main questions that you have to ask yourself, and this goes back to the strengths and your personality, is what are you optimizing for? So I'm optimizing to use my competitive drive and my achiever drive. That's what I'm personally optimizing for. It is my belief that financial advisors should at least strongly consider optimizing for reduced intimidation, whatever that means. I know that's like a 30,000 foot view, but whatever yeah. that means to you and your market, that's what I would optimize for on LinkedIn. Okay. And then I know we talked, we've talked a lot about optimizing strengths, right? Now, how can we minimize weakness in, in that test you're talking about? Is there, does it tell you what your weaknesses are so that um, maybe you can outsource those, maybe yep. you can minimize those or, or even just work on them. How, what, what would you recommend? I wouldn't work on them. Okay. <laughs> I would not work on them. Life is too short. It's too precious. It's just, more power to people who do and I mean bless them if they do but i wouldn't because they're weaknesses and even if you get really good if even if you improve a weakness a lot it's still not going to be close to your strength and you're not going to enjoy it and life's not going to be very fun i would outsource it i would if, if there is a weakness the the only time where i would kind of go back on that advice is if there is a weakness that would be deadly to your business if not improved meaning if you are weak with Excel and numbers and software and running simulations or being able to present complex topics in a clear and concise manner, if that is a weakness, you've got some work to do. But practically speaking, a lot of financial advisors um, don't have that because the, the profession itself filters out the people who do have those weaknesses. If someone isn't necessarily a numbers person or someone who isn't interested in helping others, those people get fleshed out in the very beginning or they fail in the first year. So if someone is a financial advisor and has been a financial advisor for three, four, five years minimum, then it's very unlikely that the weaknesses are impacting their businesses. Got it. Yeah. And kind of what you were saying um, about, you know, Excel and things like that, it made me think there's a, I just saw a new um, app. It's a new technology that incorporates AI. And oh, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, and I don't what's know the what the URL was. Well, what's that? Did you? I thought you were going to share the URL because I I saw that a couple of days ago, and uh, it's crazy. The tech is by the time this comes out. I mean, the tech is going to be so evolved, and right. just seeing what people can do with AI is crazy, it's and unreal. for good and for bad. Yeah, and 
I, there are certain things that people could do that I, I don't really feel comfortable talking about, but I guess in, in business sense, a, a lot of financial advisors ask me, oh, is AI going to replace financial advisors? Mm, probably not. Right. Uh, there are multiple levels to that question. Is there a segment of the market that would prefer to use artificial intelligence for the financial advice? Yes. Yeah. Yes, of course. You'd be naive to think that there isn't, right? It's like, would people prefer to, is there a segment of the market that would prefer to get their food through a drive-through? Yes. So if you're a, in a restaurant, restaurant business and you're dependent on people coming into the restaurant, you would be absolutely naive to ignore the fact, the reality that people would like to go through the drive-through, a segment, right? So now the question becomes, how can we differentiate ourselves enough? How can we become valuable enough to the people who are hesitant about using artificial intelligence? Right. As of right now, and this is probably going to change in a couple months because, again, this stuff is always evolving. What yeah. I've found to work very well is for financial advisors to point out the flaws of artificial intelligence in financial advice particularly. The big weakness with something like ChatGPT is that it sounds very smart and it can write a convincing argument that sounds good to someone who doesn't know the real information. Right. And for a financial advisor to look at it and say, and this is good, this is good, this is good, but there's one fatal flaw in there that can derail your whole plan. That's where the secret sauce is. If you can take that and present it to your prospective clients who are even, even thinking about using something like ChatGPT or other AI tools for the financial advice, right. then you can instill a little bit of fear and fear is a marketing tool. It's a copywriting tool. Just get people, give people a heightened sense of urgency of maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe I should trust this person a little bit more. And it's not done maliciously. It's done with the intention of serving them because that's truly what you're doing. You're preventing them from making a grievous mistake. That tends to work very well, but I, I don't have the survey in front of me, but there, there was a study done or a survey done in the UK, which found that I think it was like, like nine to 19, there was a nine in there percent of people have confessed to already using chat GPT for financial advice. Wow. So for any financial advisors who are like, Oh, people aren't going to do that. People are smarter than that. I wouldn't be so sure. I wouldn't be so sure. Yeah. Chat GPT is not perfect by any means, but um, where I see it coming into play for advisors um, and actually helping them out would be helping with content creation. And now I don't mean typing in, Hey, make me a marketing post. But what I do mean is helping him, helping them brainstorm. I mean, I do it all the time. I, if I'm thinking of content for marketing, I will go to ChatGPT and I'll ask it to brainstorm with me and I'll type in kind of what I'm thinking about. And it's, it's almost like starting with a rough draft in mind, you know, so sure. it really helps push it forward. And I think that that's kind of what ChatGPT and AI are going to help with in the future. I think that it's going to maybe take some jobs from, from people, but um, at the end of the day, I think that it's also going to create more jobs because I think innovation is going to flourish. I think that people are going to be able to create a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really exciting. And I know that even like you were mentioning earlier with uh, the Excel, if maybe you're not good at Excel, um, there's already tools out there where you just type in, hey, could you please make a spreadsheet? Hey, could you run a simulation? Here's the numbers. Uh, and ChatGPT, the, one of the softwares that's using their um the ai is literally running that for you so all you have to do is type that in it's pretty it's pretty fascinating and i think it's going to help a lot of um, a lot of financial professionals uh, in the future totally 
it's just another productivity tool. I don't remember the term in economics. I really should look this up because it's like the second time I've discussed this in the past seven days. Yeah. And shame on me for not looking it up. But there's a concept in economic productivity where you just push and push and push and push and push and push and push. And then you kind of flatline. So there's like a law of diminishing returns. Mm -hmm. the, the thing that moves that productivity line up is technology. Meaning you go from a horse-drawn plow to a tractor. That immediately moves the line up. So you can optimize the horse and plow as much as possible and go a little bit faster. And you change the feed a little bit more so the horse is stronger and you make the plow a little bit lighter. So you're optimizing, but you get diminishing returns. Then you throw in the tractor. Well, you're starting all over again. Then you can optimize the tractor. Same thing happened with cell phones. When you go from flip phones to smartphones, there's a whole new wave of productivity that is unleashed on humanity that has never been seen before. The same thing happened with uh, computers. The same thing is happening with the internet and sharing information. Having a search engine where you can type in a question, and this is before AI, right? Have, where you can type in, hey, what is the closest X? Where do I go for Y? That is insane. If you go even back 40 years, it's unheard of. The amount of effort that it took to find a, a dentist that took your insurance was so much more than it is today. And that is freeing up time. It's freeing up labor. It's freeing up uh, everything. That is moving that productivity line. And I think that is exactly what's going to happen with artificial intelligence tools. It's just going to unleash a whole new era of productivity and wealth in our society. Yeah, I agree. And how do you see advisors being able to use AI? I mean, is it kind of what I was talking about? Or do you see any other ways that, um, you know, AI can be a benefit to their, um, to their business? As an employee, the thing I talked about this to newsletter subscribers in March, the basic gist, and this was a long newsletter issue like, <laughs> to recite everything would take over an hour, sure. but the gist is this. In ChatGPT, you can create multiple chats, right? Let's say that, and you must train it. The, one of the biggest complaints that I heard from financial advisors is, oh, it didn't give me the result I wanted. Well, your employee won't give you the result you want if you don't train the employee, if you don't tell the employee what to do. If you tell a, a human being, you say, human being, my goal is to create weekly blog posts that are at least 500 words, and I want them to be about money topics. And that's it. Then the human being comes back to you and says, here you go. Here's a blog post about a money topic that's at least 500 words. And you read it and you're dissatisfied with it. You give reasons. You communicate. I know this sounds super basic, but this is what happens. You say, I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this. What have you just done? You've trained the human being. The same is true with these chats. So you could have a LinkedIn chat. You could have a blog post chat. You could have an email helper chat where you just have it dedicated to that one task. So you have your email employee, your LinkedIn employee, and you train it over time. That's it's it's so imperative that you do that. And I see people who use chat, I see right through them who use chat GPT because there are telltale signs. You have the colon and then you have the uppercase letter. You have words like unlock, unleash. It's so obvious, right? But people need to train it. I have replaced at least 40 hours of work, like man hours in the advisor coach alone using artificial intelligence in the past uh, five months. I mean, I started using ChatGPT the day it came out, November 30th, 2022, but didn't really start really training it until like January, February. And then when GPT-4 came out, 
it's like a whole new world. And unfortunately I had to go back and I had to retrain because you can't apply for to the old chats. Um, but that is how I would view it as an employee. So figure out which task you want, have a dedicated or chat for that task and train it over time. Be patient, give feedback, really give detailed instructions on what you want. Don't think that, oh, it will figure it out because even though it's great at a lot of things, it's not a mind reader. Okay, perfect. And um, kind of on that same topic. So I know we've talked a little bit about LinkedIn. Um, we've talked a little bit about having a newsletter, maybe it's a podcast, but what is your take on other forms of social media? I know you've already told me a little bit in your personal life, you, you probably not even really use it too much, but um, what about for business? I mean, how can, how can entrepreneurs, how can um, financial professionals, how can they maximize their footprint um, by marketing efficiently on social media? I would go where your market is. I would let your market dictate your strategy. I'm on LinkedIn because financial advisors are there. I have a Facebook account because I can run advertisements to financial advisors. I have a Twitter because I can run advertisements to financial advisors. Other than that, I am, I'm really bad at Twitter. Uh, I'm okay at LinkedIn. I'm, I barely post on Facebook, but I run a lot of ads. That is essentially what I use social media for. But I'm in a different phase in my business life where I can wake up and I can say, okay, I'm going to reach 10,000 people today with this post or this ad. And I'm willing to pay a hundred bucks for it or what, however much it costs, because I know the metrics behind the business. And it, it is just so much easier for me to just create an ad, let it run and move on with my life than it is to try to brainstorm 5,000 different social media posts and connect with 400 people and like all this other stuff. That's not to say that that's not effective, but it's just, they're different levels, right? That's where I am personally. Uh, I definitely wouldn't have social media if it wasn't for business. Uh, for financial advisors specifically, definitely let your market lead the way. If you are working with a local market and you want to be on Twitter, I would follow local publications, newspapers, magazines, your the weather channel in your area, the news outlets, because that's where the people that's where people follow. It makes no sense for somebody to follow a news outlet in Colorado unless that person has a vested interest in Colorado. So now you are starting to see where your audience hangs out and you can interact and engage. I mean, social media is called social for a reason. Once you find where your market is, you must engage with them and be social with them. And it sounds so obvious, but social media is amazing. If you went back in time and you told Andrew Carnegie, uh, John Rockefeller, any of these business magnets, if you went back and you talked to Sam Walton, founder of Walmart, and you said, look here, Sam, we have this tool where you can reach potential customers with the click of a mouse in a few seconds, anywhere in America, at any time of day, it could be 3 a.m. You could get up to use the bathroom in the middle of the night, take your phone with you and message someone in, you're in Arkansas, message somebody in New York. He would slap you silly. And he would, he would, he's rolling in his grave probably at this tech that so many people are just missing out on and not using properly. And they take it for granted simply because it's a product of the times, but they don't realize that all throughout human history, people have been successful. There's always been a 1% because it's a mathematical law. There's always been a 99%. And people in the 99% get those results because they do what 99%ers do. But now you have to apply that same system. 
to today. You got to do what the 1% are doing. And they are just using social media. They're not being used by social media. They are using it. And it, it is such a shame that people truly do take it for granted. They're not reaching out to people. They're using it as just like a megaphone and they're not getting any results. They're not tracking their metrics. They're not reusing their best content. There's so much that you can do and just don't take it for granted. I love it. No, I love it. And um, I think what you, you've talked a lot about keeping it simple in oh, yeah. this episode. And yep. um, I think that that's what I've personally gotten the most from you is that keeping it simple is what's going to lead to the best results. And I think that's just like anything in life, really. But um, other than that, I, I want to say what makes you different from the, the the million different online marketing coaches that that you see and, you know, everybody who's a, a guru now and, hey, I made $30 million in sales yesterday because I ran my e-commerce store. Um, totally. what, what makes you different than one of those kind of uh, um, marketers? The dime a dozen marketers. Where do I begin? How much time do you have? Uh, to boil it down to a few things, I would say experience. I have been in the marketing world long before I've been in the financial services industry and helping them. I am a student of the game. I have my own businesses with my own results where I spend my own money. Meaning if I run ads and they don't work, I don't make no money. Like that's how it works. If I run an email campaign and it doesn't work, I don't make money from it. That That's seriously like I am using the information. I would also say access to data because of the business size and its reach and its structure and my ability to do well with advertising, I can run ads to get that information that other people can't get. Quite frankly, because it's if, if someone else is running a survey and they're paying $5 per survey fill and I'm just better at ads, I can get $2 per survey fill and I can get a lot more data and less time for less money. And that just feeds the beast, right? So I learn from advisors. I learn from prospective clients. I learn from investors and I know what they're really doing because I have my actual in-house data. I have other data from studies, research. I'm constantly all over that. I don't have it anymore, but I used to have someone who would literally just scour the internet for research that is pertinent to financial advisors because I would use it in ads and email and whatnot. Uh, I don't really have that anymore because I took everything in-house and now I'm doing my own. The third biggest reason and this is probably the most important, is access to data from financial advisors who tell me things that they won't necessarily share anywhere else. And to take this back to the newsletter, this is the beautiful part of having a monthly paper and ink subscription where one of the perks is that financial advisors have direct email access to me. What happens is financial advisors ask questions that they wouldn't ask at a mastermind group because they're not going to ask these questions in front of 29 other people who they perceive as very successful. They're just not going to. It's embarrassing. And it it puts them in a perceived lower status. I don't, I don't care what anybody says, where they say, oh, I'd be comfortable to do it. I, I'm not so sure. And even if you are the rare breed that's comfortable asking a question in front of 29 other people you perceive as successful, the other people aren't. And one of the benefits of being in a mastermind group is that you can learn from these other people and share ideas and so on and so forth. But if the 29 other people, for example, are terrified to ask the real nitty gritty questions, then you're not getting the full benefit. The beautiful thing is that at one-on-one, -on -one, someone can send me an email and ask the real stuff and I can answer. Then I can take the question and the strategy and the tactic, whatever it is, the, the wrapped up answer. 
and then put it in the next newsletter and then share it. I don't have to say, oh, John Smith from Fayetteville, Arkansas asked this question and like put him on blast. I never yeah. do that. Why would I? That's a terrible business strategy. Yeah. But what I'll do is I'll say an inner circle member asked this question, have the question, and then all of the subscribers can see and benefit from it. And I've been doing that for years. So I have so many conversations. I save, I don't want to say all of them because I, I did hit my storage limit at one point. But I try to save as many as I can. Uh -huh. And I can just, I have so much correspondence and information from advisors that I know what they're really struggling with. And I know what they really want. And I, thankfully, I'm in a position to help. And the coolest part is that even if I'm not in a position to help, because there's so much data, if I have a conversation with a financial advisor who has solved a problem that someone three months ago had that I just didn't know, and I'm just honest with them and say, look, I really don't know. I can go back to that person and say, hey, remember that thing you asked three months ago? I found a guy who solves that specific problem. Here he is, and here's what he told me. Yep. Nice. And when that just compounds, we're talking about years and just tens of thousands of back and forth, That that's not available anywhere else. That's, that is awesome. That is super, super cool. I, um, I mean, this right here, this is going out in a newsletter, so I'm excited. Hopefully, um, that's the end goal for me as well. I mean, I want to continue to build this for years and the exact same thing like you're talking about. I hope that um, sometimes someone reaches out to me and says, hey, you know, I'm a financial advisor. How could I, you know, learn more about marketing? Oh, hey, I did a great podcast with uh, James. You should go check it out. Here's the link. Let me share something yeah. with you. Um, cause I've, I've been having a lot of conversations with advisors about email marketing because it's, they just know that I do that stuff. Yeah. What's very interesting is, so in early June, a newsletter service called the peak. So T H E P E A K, uh, was acquired for $5 million. Now that's not a lot of money in the acquisition world. That's a lot of money. Absolutely. Meaning if someone dropped $5 million on your lap, you'd be like, whoa, this is amazing. Right? Yeah. So a lot of money individually, not so much in acquisition world. Here's where it gets really cool. They had 110,000 readers. So I know that may be intimidating and it may be daunting, but when you realize that this is without ever having a service, um, I'm not saying that the peak didn't have services and products. What I'm saying is that as a financial advisor or a service professional or whatever it is that you're doing, that acquisition alone was $5 million. That doesn't take into account the services you could have offered, the products you could have sold, the relationships you could have built, the relationships you still have after selling the email list. Now, I'm, I am not the guy, I never ever say, oh, you're building your email list to sell it. No, I, I don't do that. I, I build email lists with financial advisors to help them set appointments with clients. That's kind of the whole deal. What I'm saying is that is proof that email lists alone by themselves are intrinsically valuable. So if people are feeling down, like, oh, I, I'm really struggling to build this newsletter and they just have a down day, just realize that it is valuable. Even if you're not getting any results from it right now, it's still valuable. Definitely. Well, James, I really appreciate your time here. And um, as we start to wrap up, I ask every single guest that I have, I ask the same question at the end because I want people to get to know you. So um, what is your why? Why do you do what you do? My why is religious based. Okay. Uh, I don't want to dig too much into it because it's going to take a lot of time. But the long story short is that I have a moral obligation to help people as much as I possibly can. I have a moral obligation to 
better their lives to improve them. I have a moral obligation to leave the world a better place than I found it. There is a, a verse in Proverbs that um, cursed is the man who holds back grain. And I don't want to be cursed. That's really what it is. Everybody has grain, okay? The metaphorical grain could be your ability to give financial advice. Your metaphorical grain could be Michael Phelps in swimming. Like his grain is swimming. That's his gift to the world. It would be a catastrophic error for him to hold back that grain because the world would not be better off from him leaving that gift untapped. And that's where it all comes from. Like the strengths thing and it, why I wouldn't improve my weaknesses. Why would I go from the grain to like dirt? Why would I try to improve dirt? No, no I want better grain. And I, I have to give the people the grain. That's really what it comes down to is just having this belief. And I, I sometimes off the air of the financial advisor marketing podcast, I will ask guests, Hey, you can be real with me. Don't tell me yes, just because it's me. Just like, do you believe in a higher power? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, God, whatever? And if they say yes, then I'll say, oh, if it's Christian, for example, they, I've had Muslims uh, with different conversations. I've had Buddhist, I've had um, Jewish people. But if they say yes, then I try to think of the text that applies to them. And I will say, well, do you know that like in the Old Testament, for example, it says this, 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 and this about helping others and personal wealth and productivity. Do you know that? Well, no. Um, some people say, I always believe that uh, poverty is piety. And I'll say, no, you've been misinformed, unfortunately. I mean, it's right here. It's in the text. Here you go. When they have that shift where they now are commanded by a higher power to do well for other people and themselves, then things shift. It's now not just, oh, I got to pay the bills or, oh, I have to create content for content's sake. It's literally living up to the standard that has been established to you and directed to you by a higher, a higher power. That is so much more powerful than, oh, got to make an extra 10 grand this month. That's what it is for me. And I'm not saying it has to be for everyone. I don't, people are adults. They can make their own decisions, but that's just what it is for me. No, I, I love that. I feel, um, I definitely feel the same way. I'm, I'm very religious again, without getting into it. I, I a hundred percent, my, my main reason and why I'm here, why I do what I do is exactly that. I just want to help as many people as possible. So, um, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on here, James. Um, I'm going to put a link to your LinkedIn profile. Uh, your website, where else should people reach out to you if they want to learn some more? Don't, I don't want you to reach out to me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, the, be the best way to do it is to go to the advisorcoach.com. The reason I say that is because it will show you the email list, the podcast, it will show you the blog. So whatever tickles your fancy, you can choose your own adventure on the advisorcoach.com. Perfect. All right, James. Thanks so much. Thank you.